0: Just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today's episode is a little bit different. If you're not following That So Chronic over on Instagram, you might have missed that recently I was a guest on Ben Hampton's podcast, A Gluten-Free Podcast. You might remember Ben from his interview episode here on That So Chronic, where he shared his story of being diagnosed with celiac disease. I really enjoyed getting to chat to Ben all about my gluten intolerance diagnosis. It's something that I haven't really talked about before on Mike, so I thought, what a great opportunity to share a little bit more of my health story with all of you. In this episode, I talk about the symptoms I was experiencing when I was 15 that eventually led to a gluten intolerance diagnosis. I express my love for the gluten-free foods in Australia, a recap on my MS diagnosis for all of you OG listeners, and a little bit of advice for anyone on their chronic illness journey. Big thanks to Ben for facilitating and sharing this interview with me, and in turn, with all of you. Welcome to That's So Chronic.
1: All right, Jess. Yay. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Um, we were just talking about, just before you hopped on, that you're just getting over COVID. So yeah. I really appreciate you actually taking the time <laughs> to, to do this interview here today.
0: Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
1: It's really a pleasure to have you on because we've got a few things in common. We're both gluten-free,
0: mm-hmm. both
1: podcasters. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I just recently came onto your podcast, That's yes. So Chronic as a guest and that's where you interview people from all around the world who are in your words thriving and only just sometimes surviving with chronic illnesses life-changing injuries and sometimes potentially disastrous diagnoses.
0: Yeah I've always thought oh mate is my catchphrase a little bit too long but when it was coming out of your mouth I was like that's perfect that's exactly what the show is so I love it. It's
1: it's very cool and it's really it's a really interesting show. I've learned so much just from listening to it for a little bit and listening to different people's stories and their diagnoses. And yeah, I'm super excited to get into that with you. But yeah, I'm also really keen to hear about your gluten-free journey. And after we um, stopped recording on your episode when I was on as a guest, you started talking about your gluten-free journey and um, it was super interesting. And I was like, wait, stop. (laughs) Can you come onto my podcast and talk about all this? Because I think other... others listening will find it, yeah, really interesting as well. So yeah, I'm keen as to dive into all that. But firstly, can you tell us about um, your diagnosis, uh, what diagnosis you have and, and uh, how that came about?
0: Yeah, so I feel like a bit of a fraud because I'm not celiac. I am gluten intolerant. But as I'm sure a lot of your listeners can appreciate, you know, even just having to Uh, To eat gluten-free is still such a huge life adjustment. Oh, yeah. And for me, it started all the way back in 2009, I think it was. I was 15. I was in my year 11 at high school. I think New Zealand does it a little bit differently to Australia. I think we're like a year different. So year 11 is like your first year of exams and stress and like everything sort of ramps up with school and I think it was about halfway through the school year when I just got a tummy bug and I've had to like call my mum and fact check and check everything originally I thought it was this other tummy bug that had this really fancy name but I think this one was just a gastro bug and I was so sick and I never got better and that was um, probably yeah, weeks and weeks of the, of the symptoms And so the lasting symptom that lasted for the longest time was the pain. And I would just be constantly, you know, in the fetal position, hunched over, couldn't really do my schoolwork, couldn't go to school for the longest time. And yeah, the pain was excruciating. So eventually I went back to my family GP at the time and they just had no idea what was wrong with me. So they sent me with a referral to the hospital to get an ultrasound because they thought that perhaps it was something to do with my gallbladder, which to this day, I still have no idea what a gallbladder does. (laughs) Me either. Yeah. But they thought that it could have potentially been something to do with that. And I remember being 15 and like getting this ultrasound being like, oh my God, am I going to be like the new Virgin Mary? Like, what if they find a baby in there?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Immaculate conception. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And so then I had the ultrasound, nothing was wrong. Because like, I guess clinically on tests, like nothing was wrong with me. I just had Mm. all this pain. And I guess when you're a 15-year-old girl, you're probably treated a little bit differently in terms of like your symptoms and are you just being dramatic? And I mean, I was very dramatic. Mm. My email address at the time was dramatic underscore Jess 22. So
1: (laughs) yeah, we all had those sort of emails, didn't we? Yeah, Yeah. so it was very on brand. But
0: yeah, eventually when they were like, okay, it's not the gallbladder, we're not too sure what it is. And I think it lasted about six to eight weeks of this pain. And what we noticed was that the pain would always come on after I ate food. And so that was something that me and my parents were able to go, okay, it's, it's coming after she eats. So then of course, as anyone does, that's an excruciating pain every time they eat, I just stopped eating because it was like everything I was putting in was just really not sitting well in my tummy. And so I stopped eating a lot of food. I completely lost my appetite. And I think I took a food diary during this time because we were like, what if it's like an allergy or something that's happening? So I was taking a food diary and I think the foods that I was eating were... Uh, sausage rolls at the time I wasn't eating a lot of meat as a child because I really hated the taste of it but I didn't mind like plasticky meat you know (laughs) like artificial like sausage rolls yeah 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 so all I felt like was sausage rolls and toast with marmite and wedges you know the like store-bought um oven wedges and if you get the ones with the like the coating they're full of gluten yeah. And so everything I was eating was just gluten. But that's all that I felt like, but then I was still feeling sick every time I ate. And I just remember being at school and like no one really knew what to do with me and I'd be in the back of the classroom like I just couldn't even sit at my desk anymore. I had to like curl over in the fetal position and just like hold my stomach because the cramps were just so bad. And then it was during this time that my mum had a friend who had celiac disease. And he was like, you need to get them to test for a gluten intolerance because what if it is gluten that's Mm. doing this? And so we went back to the GP and we were like, look, she's still in so much pain. It's been two months now. Can we get a test for a gluten intolerance? Because we've got this friend who's celiac. They thought that maybe it could be that. And they really didn't want to test for gluten. They were like, it won't be that it just, it just, it won't be that. So why test? And I think that's just such a common thing of like, we really want it to be something like that. We can see on a scan and take out the yes. gallbladder. I mean, I'm, pre- I'm sure you probably don't even take out the gallbladder, but like, you know, yeah. it felt really like they were really looking for this to be something else, something yeah. with an immediate fix. Right. I guess being gluten intolerant, isn't that like immediate fix? no. So, eventually, we convinced her to do a blood test for gluten intolerance. And I don't know how long we waited, but eventually, my mum got a phone call and it was like very begrudgingly said, Okay, yes, it's come back and she does have a slight gluten intolerance, only it's only a little bit. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay, cool. But by this stage, I had already cut out gluten because okay. I was like, you know, when you're in so much pain, you're desperate to just have some relief. So when someone mentioned, oh, what if it's gluten? I just started cutting back on gluten and I was noticing the effects. I was feeling a lot better. And so, yeah, then eventually got the blood test and it was confirmed I had a gluten intolerance. And so then, yeah, just went fully gluten-free, which in 2009 was not very easy to do.
1: <laughs> a bit of an ordeal. Yeah, wow. It's, it's quite a journey, isn't it? And at the age of, you were 15, did you yeah. say, at the time? Yeah, wow. So how was that at school and navigating it socially? And did people understand it?
0: Yeah, to be honest, I can't really remember much okay. of school. Yeah. But I did change schools the next year. So right. I imagine that it was kind of like, as 16-year-old, 15-year-old Jess, just able to kind of like leave that and those f- friends almost like at that school. I started a new school and was able to just start fresh. Like we, had, we didn't have a canteen. So where I grew up, the, the population was like 900 people. There was, oh, wow. it was such a small town. So at that school, when I first got diagnosed, like we didn't have a canteen. We didn't have any food that you could buy at school. So it was always like you had to bring your own food anyway, so that was fine. And then at the new school, we did have a canteen where you could buy food. Um, it was in the, the like closest city to where I grew up, so there was a lot more like going out for lunches or being able to, you know, buy food. And so I guess I just had to start. It was quite good, like being able to start fresh and be like, no, this is who I am. I don't eat gluten.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. And did you start to feel a lot better once you went gluten-free pretty quickly? Or
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, okay. it, it feels like it was immediate. Wow. Yeah.
1: And have you ingested gluten since? Because I'm just interested, you know, from a celiac perspective and even, you know, someone with non-celiac gluten sensitivity, like a lot of us just react um, if we go a period being gluten-free and then we ingest gluten, like we sort of all have similar symptoms of like, you know, um, th- some range from quite small to really severe. Did How have your symptoms sort of varied when you've ingested gluten?
0: Yeah, I haven't been gluten for the longest time, thank goodness. Okay. But definitely in those early days, gluten was just everywhere. And because it wasn't very right. common to be gluten-free, I think when you went yeah. out for lunch, there was probably like a gluten-free chocolate brownie and a gluten-free orange almond cake. Like that yeah. was all that there was. I mean, Something still side. some places are still like that, but yeah, so it was really difficult. Um, but yeah, if I ingested gluten, for me, I'd get really lethargic. That would be like, that would last quite a while. I would also get the pain again in my stomach and I would also... Um, Yeah, it was just that real feeling of like feeling really tired, feeling really lethargic, feeling like I was in pain. And then sometimes if it was bad, I would get diarrhea, which was Mm. not fun, but um, it was really interesting. I think back then there was also the sense of like, do we want to completely eliminate something from a person's diet? Is that going to make things worse for them in the long run and I don't know if we still subscribe to that belief but I do remember thinking like oh because I haven't had it for so long is that going to make the slightest bit really bad for me and I think it's such a strange mentality to have like oh maybe if I just keep a little bit in my body will get used to it and then if it does if I do get gluten it won't be as bad but it's like no then you just feel rubbish all the time
1: yes Yeah. yeah
0: So no, I don't regret completely cutting it out at all. Um, But I do feel really grateful uh, to not have to be so worried about cross contamination. I've been learning loads about that from listening to your podcast and also my friend Morgan from How to Celiac, you know, just learning about her and the cross contamination. I had no idea was a thing. So Mm. yeah, I feel really grateful that it is a intolerance or a sensitivity and it doesn't, it's not like life or death. If, I do accidentally get glutened. It's probably just a couple of days of feeling really tired and being sore.
1: Yeah. Okay. Wow. And unfortunately, you know, as with many people who ingest gluten and with different issues going on, it not only affects us um, physically, but it can also affect us mentally and neurologically. And I guess that kind of ties into a later diagnosis that you um, you had, yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's probably, I think it's my ms anniversary next week. So it's been eight years.
1: Okay. Since
0: the diagnosis. So yeah, when I was in my final year of university, I went to drama school. Um, I was diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis, which yeah, definitely um, it was a huge challenge dealing with that diagnosis. And I think probably at the time I was like, what now I've got another thing. You mean I have to eat gluten free and now I have to like manage this other condition. Like, can I just Mm -hmm. get a break? But I think honestly being gluten free has sort of helped in terms of MS because they do, when you get diagnosed with something like MS, a lot of people will scream at you to like, go on a certain diet or eat this and that's going to cure you or oh, my auntie has MS and she follows this diet and she hasn't had a relapse in five years. And you're like, okay, so there's a lot of information. And I think being gluten-free, was actually such a blessing because I couldn't do a lot of those diets anyway, because it wouldn't fit with my lifestyle of having to be gluten-free. So in a way, yeah, the first diagnosis of the gluten intolerance kind of yeah, helped me navigate the MS diagnosis in this really strange way.
1: For sure. Yeah. And just sort of a double whammy at the same time. Yeah. I can imagine that would have <laughs> that would have felt really overwhelming at the time. But yeah, just for people who don't know as well, um, MS, multiple sclerosis, uh, what actually is it? And yeah, can you just explain a little bit about it?
0: Yeah. So it is essentially a neurological condition. It um, is when you're immune system so it's autoimmune when your immune system mistakenly attacks the myelin sheath so the myelin sheath is the outer layer of the central nervous system it's kind of like with an electrical cord how you have all the wires on the inside and then you have that plastic casing that's what the myelin is and so my immune system instead of attacking the bad guys it somehow gets the message that the myelin sheath is the bad guy so it sort of starts nibbling away at that outer casing and so because of that because we can't just get in there and wrap some electrical tape around it because of that some of the like wires are exposed and so that means that when messages go from the brain to different parts of the body sometimes there might be like a little speed bump or there might be like a pothole and so when the messages go sometimes it misfires a little bit so if I went to go pick up my glass maybe sometimes I just completely missed the glass because that wow. message just hasn't quite like made it to that part so for me a lot of that that a lot of the symptoms that come with my MS would be pain I've always got some level of pain somewhere on my body I also get electric shocks that sort of fire down the right side of my body every so often. My hands are really affected. So they cramp or like seize up into little crab hands every so often. Usually if something really stressful is happening or if I'm really anxious um, or if I'm sick. And then um, the other part that... uh, affects me quite a lot, not every day, but it's definitely the fatigue and the brain fog. Mm. And I guess that makes the whole gluten thing also tricky because the fatigue was the biggest symptom after I'd been glutened. And so now you're like, is this gluten? Is this MS? What yeah. what have I been eating?
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Trying to figure out which symptoms yeah. is which. Yeah. So how do you deal with that day-to-day? Do you take uh, regular medication?
0: Mm-hmm. So for my MS, I'm on a infusion at the hospital. So I get that every six months. It's called ocralizumab. And essentially that works to, um, to in, a, in a long story short way, it essentially sort of puts a little backpack on the immune system and it tries to like divert them from not eating the myelin sheath. And I also take um, painkillers every night. So I'm on a drug called amitriptyline and baclofen to help with the pain, which cross fingers touch wood, everything's going pretty well at the moment. Everything's being managed. So
1: that's That's great. That's really good to hear. And I I guess it's a weird one, isn't it? Like having a diagnosis, it's like an overwhelming thing at, 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 at the time that you get it, but being able to have an answer and have like a validation in a way and know how to move forward with it and have some strategies to deal with it. Medications as a real case, I I guess that must, that must help. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's the same with, you know, finally getting that diagnosis of being gluten intolerant. It's like, yeah, great. All these symptoms now have a name and, you know, I can Google it if I want to, and I can find a way to make it better, which is so So nice in a way, even when the whole world feels like it's falling down around you because you've just been given this life changing diagnosis. Yeah, there is some sort of light at the end of the tunnel that, like, okay, now we know what it is, we can move forward.
1: Yeah, wow. Yeah, and so you mentioned it's kind of hard to tell symptoms, whether it's the MS symptoms or whether you know you've ingested gluten. Does being gluten free? From your understanding, help with MS and sort of other conditions, or is it just on a case to case basis?
0: Yeah, I thought I was like I should really Google what some of those diets are that are for MS because I'm I'm curious if any of them do say to cut back on gluten. Mm. I have a feeling that one of the particular diets does have low gluten, but don't quote me on that. I can't remember if that is a thing, but yeah, I think with the diet for MS. I really believe that, you know, everything in moderation, we should just be mm. eating healthy anyway. Like yeah. we shouldn't be eating, I don't know, takeaways and fast food seven nights of the week. Anyway, you know, we should be yeah. keeping up our exercise and we should be trying to eat as healthy as possible. So whether you've got MS, or you don't have MS. Like I think it's important, you know, to do that anyway. So, yeah, I, um. I did go down the diet path, like, when I first got diagnosed. There was one, because I'm vegetarian as well now. Okay. Sausage rolls back in the beginning, but I'm fully vegetarian since I was, like, 17 or 18. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, one of them is, like, low saturated fat. So that's probably the only one that I've kind of stuck to, but not really, because I remember reading that the diet was, like, completely eliminate dairy products but it was something to do with like 15 grams of saturated fat a day would be okay and I was like well four pieces of chocolate are 12 (laughs) grams of saturated fat so maybe I'll just have my chocolate and it'll be fine try to
1: find those loopholes yeah Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. but I don't count anymore I don't like really think too much about that
1: okay yeah Yeah. and you mentioned there as well before that you know, people give you unsolicited advice. I can totally understand that with celiac, you know, people just randoms as well that you just meet and they say, you know, my brother's sister's cousin or whatever has this disease and you should do this and this and this, how do you sort of deal with, you know, people saying that sort of stuff to you and just giving random advice?
0: Oh my God. And I don't know if you find it, but it's also just with sharing your life, like openly online as well. The amount of DMs on Instagram, like I remember over Christmas. Because, you know, like I said, a lot of people subscribe to not really having dairy in their diet for MS. Everyone is completely different. So we don't know what's going on with someone like, you know, so I would just never give that advice to like anybody out there. But yeah, I, it was Christmas and like, it's freaking Christmas. We've just lived through a global pandemic. Like we're still in it. (laughs) it's Christmas, like, let me just live a little, and Mm. so I posted on the That's So Chronic Instagram that I had, like, you know, put cream on a pavlova, I love pavlova so much, I'm, thank God that that is gluten-free, oh, I don't know what I would have done if that had flour or something (laughs) Um, but yeah, so there was, like, a pavlova, and then we have gluten free brandy snaps in the supermarkets in New Zealand. And oh my God, I love a brandy snap. So I had those as well. And I had this photo and I put it up on Instagram. Thought it was really cute, actually. Like great little Christmas outfit. Like had my little desserts, having a great time. And then, yeah, this person just messaged me and was like, just this novel about how bad cream is for MS and this and that. And I was just like, oh my God. I just would never I would just never ever do that but yeah it gets really overwhelming the amount of advice that people give you and I think it's hard it's only you know eight years after the diagnosis that I feel really comfortable and being like no this is how I live my life and this is how I manage and actually if I had I don't know drank a glass of water while spinning around four times and ate only red vegetables you know like that still wouldn't have prevented me from getting ms it's just one of those things that like my body just decided to do this and there's nothing really that I could have done and and I don't want to think about that like I don't want anyone to go oh it's because you're eating a pavlova at Christmas it's like I'm not eating a pavlova every day that I'm obviously still very triggered by that situation
1: (laughs) yeah yeah That, that is, that's horrible. And I've had that sort of thing happen to me as well. And it's just, it's such an awkward thing because I guess you don't want to diss the person because that may have been their own health journey. But in this, in the same case, it's like, this is my journey and you know, it's going to be different from me. My health journey is completely different to yours. So yeah Yeah, i'm just sharing what's you know what's happening in my life and you can do the same but like don't try to impart this unsolicited advice yeah (laughs) Yeah. exactly
0: and you just need to be happy as well and if eating a pavlova at christmas makes you happy i think that's also going to help your chronic illness you know definitely yeah before we carry on with the interview i wanted to quickly jump in and say a big thank you to you for listening to that so chronic and supporting the work that i do here if you're not already i would really love you to follow along over on instagram or tiktok i'm at that so chronic and make sure that you've signed up to the free monthly newsletter over on substack you can find the links in the show notes all right back to the interview
1: And speaking of sharing your journey and talking to others that do the same, you started a podcast. Yes. That's so chronic. And uh, yeah, it's such a good name. (laughs) Dr. Dre would be so proud, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, Can you talk to me a little bit about the podcast and why you started it?
0: Yeah. So I started the podcast, well, I first had the idea in 2019 that just found a lesion on my brain that they didn't know what it was. It didn't look like MS. It looked like a really scary brain disease. But in a roundabout way, I didn't actually have any of the criteria for it to be that brain disease. So it was either that I'm like the only person in the world that's somehow gotten this brain disease without having the virus and all the symptoms, or it was that I'd made somehow a different form of of MS lesion. Mm. So either way, I was sort of being told that they'd never seen it before and they've never had anyone like this before. And a bunch of neurologists like- Um, I'm based in New Zealand, but a bunch of neurologists in Sydney were also looking at it, and they were apparently the best, and it was just such a mess. And I remember thinking, surely I'm not the only person. Like, how could this just be me? I know I'm special, but I know that I'm not that special. Like, someone must have seen this or heard of this. And so I was really inspired to start talking to other people that have chronic illnesses, and I thought, where's the podcasts that Are people sharing their stories, and I know that those podcasts do exist, but a lot of them are based in America, and as we all know, their healthcare system is completely different to us over on this side of the world. Their stories, while I did get comfort from listening to them, their stories just really didn't feel like mine at all, and so I thought, okay, well maybe I can be the New Zealand one, and I will interview all these people and share their stories and so yeah I got really excited and I bought all the equipment and then I had to buy new equipment because that equipment wasn't good enough for what I wanted to do and it was trial and error and then eventually um it was also a really good distraction while all of this stuff was going on because my MS was also getting worse at the time and I was struggling to walk and so this was like a nice thing to get my brain and really sink into a project and then eventually I went to Australia because I was working at a festival over there and I was like okay I'm gonna start interviewing people while I'm at this festival but that's when COVID started being a thing so I was like oh no I'm I'm literally just surviving like I don't think I can launch a podcast while I'm like trying to work and make money and also what is this COVID thing and so then yeah we went into lockdown and Everyone released a podcast in lockdown. And I said, <laughs> no, I don't want to be like in the masses right now. I don't want to get yeah. lost. So I sat on the idea for like a year and then eventually launched it in September 2020. And then the rest is history. It's been such an amazing two nearly two years of interviewing people and sharing their stories. And I was thinking about this last night. I just couldn't get to sleep. And I was just so excited for our chat today. And I was thinking about everything. And I thought, isn't that just such amazing proof? Because Mm. your story and my story are quite similar with that. It was because of other people sharing that they had celiac disease that Mm. encouraged us to get that tested and to seek out that diagnosis. And if it wasn't for those people sharing their stories, Mm we might not have a diagnosis yet. Like who knows what would have happened. And that really inspires me to be like, oh, it's amazing feeling to be able to facilitate sharing so many other people's stories because who knows who might be listening and that might inspire them to get a second opinion or to test something else. And so I really, truly believe in the power of sharing patient stories. And yeah, I just love that I get to be a little part of that in the world.
1: It's so cool. And you just blow my mind because I've never, it's yeah, it seems like such a simple thing to say, but I've never actually correlated that. If my wife's friends didn't tell me about her story of having celiac disease and going to get tested, then there's no way I would have been diagnosed when I did at least. Um, And yeah, us sharing our stories hopefully that is helping others and, you know, whether they have a diagnosis now or whether they get a diagnosis down the track. And yeah, I often think about that with this with this podcast and just listening to other people's podcasts like yourself, like how many people it would be affecting, you know, even just, um, you know, my mother-in-law has always suffered from migraines and I listened to, I guess you had on recently who talked about migraines and I learned so much and I thought, I am going to send this to my mother-in-law and she was so thankful she listened to it and yeah. and just got gained so much from it and you know the amount of people that it has this sort of domino effect that yeah. you just you just have no idea about so I think it's yeah it's awesome what you're doing
0: Yeah cuz I yeah. think everyone knows someone that's going yes. through something And yeah, I feel like a better person after hearing everybody's stories and I'm learning so much along the way. Like, I mean, I really started the podcast selfishly because I was like, I want to connect with these people and I want to hear their stories. So yeah, yeah, it's been really cool.
1: What have you learned uh, since starting the show and talking to all your guests? Is there a recurring theme that you found?
0: Yeah, I think the recurring theme would be that everybody thinks that someone else is worse off. (laughs) Even if their symptoms... Uh, you know, subjectively what other people would think are the worst, is the worst case scenario. Everybody mm. thinks, oh, I'm such a fraud. You know, other people have it so much worse than me. Yeah. It's so interesting that that's something that we must all
1: think. Why do you think that is?
0: I'm not sure. I think it's because um, we live in our own reality. So we just get really used to how we live. Like, I'm sure if 2014 Jess, who's just been diagnosed, looked at how I'm living in 2022, maybe she would have been so frightened looking at those symptoms and being like, oh my God, well, that's going to completely change the whole path of my life. But Jess in 2022, I'm like, oh yeah, that's just normal. I, yeah, whatever. Like, it's fine. It's manageable. Yeah. And so, yeah, maybe it's just that everyone. There's this theory or some word for it, and I can't remember the scientific name, but it's like a fish in water doesn't know that they're in water until someone else comes in and is like, mate, you're in water. Like, this is water. And they're like, no, surely not. This is just how I live. And they're like, no, there's another world out there. (laughs) Mm. So maybe it's something to do with that. We just get so used to how we live.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Because I've kind of felt that same way, like starting up this podcast and kind of sharing my journey. There's this weird thing, and I don't know if it's the same in in New Zealand. I know that we are quite similar countries. um, Like of this tall poppy syndrome. Oh, yeah. Of like, you know, me sharing my story. I can't, I do feel like a bit of a not a fraud but just like it feels awkward to share it sometimes because it's like what will people think i know that there's people way worse off than me is my story like even important is anybody going to care about this have you sort of have you felt that same those same sort of pressures and and thoughts
0: yeah, definitely. Like, I think it took me like a year to do an episode about me having MS and all yeah. the reviews on Apple podcasts. So like, cool, Jess, great. But when do we get to hear your story? <laughs> like, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah,
0: definitely the tool poppy syndrome thing. And just like, oh no. I mean, even I feel like that too, where I'm like, oh, everyone has it so much worse than me. Like, but it's not a competition, you know, and yeah. I would hate for it to be a competition. Like, I don't want to be any more sick than anybody else. Like, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, no, it is interesting. Yeah.
1: It is, absolutely. And I think, like, sometimes, you know, I've heard of Instagram and other platforms as, you know, in some cases, like the Who's doing it worse, Olympics. And then yes, you just sort yeah. of give, <laughs> give in, you know, uh, more sympathy than than others. It's um, it's interesting. But yeah, what, what have you learned? So, you know, about yourself as well doing this podcast.
0: Oh, that's a good question. What have I learned about myself? I think in a way I've learned what I'm really passionate about. I've learned what I really want to do with the rest of my career or life or the next however many years. You know, I really, really love listening to other people sharing their story and I've learned that not everyone can do that and that it's actually not everyone can just have a podcast and make it work or interview guests you know sometimes that's not something that people, something that everyone can do and so I guess I've learned about myself that that is something that I can do and that I really love it and that I want to keep doing it yeah
1: You can tell that in the show and it is just such an awesome podcast. It's, you know, I've learned so much, as I said, from listening to the guests and all their different conditions and diagnoses. And I think anybody listening really that, you know, as you said, everybody kind of knows someone who's going through something. And so they could listen to the podcast themselves and gain something from it, or perhaps even get a diagnosis down the track or send it to those people who are going through those certain diagnoses or that process of testing um yeah it's it's just a it's a great show uh but yeah what's coming up next with the podcast
0: oh well I've got I've got this thing where I've just got so many ideas and just not enough time or energy to actually make them all happen so I'm not too sure what's next excitingly I get to go to um university and Be a guest lecturer for a podcast paper. There, I'm really excited about that, and I get to share a little bit about the process of that so chronic and how I make it all happen. So, I'm really excited to to do that. But yeah, next for the podcast, I've just launched the the monthly newsletter. So, I'm hoping to do a bit more writing to go alongside the podcast because I know that audio isn't necessarily accessible for everybody. So,
1: Mm.
0: I would love to like develop a bit more of a writing practice. But again, I just it's a one woman show around here. I'm well, my mum proof listens to everything. But apart from that, it's just me. So yeah, it takes a lot of time, which I'm sure you totally understand.
1: Absolutely I do. And I I think I was quite naive going into this thinking like, oh you know, just release a podcast like every every week. That'd be fine. And my wife was even sort of saying like Maybe every fortnight is a bit more <laughs> realistic. And I was like, nope, no, I'm doing yeah, it every yeah, week. Yeah. And, but yeah, doing like all the editing myself. Uh, my wife does the artwork and stuff. But it's just, yeah, it is, it is like basically a full time thing. Yeah. Like you have to be, yeah, on top of it if you want to, yeah, consistently release episodes and stuff. So it is, it is a lot of work that much more than people think. But likewise, you know, like you were saying, it's one of the best things I've ever done, just yeah. learning so much about you know, people's stories and learning from them and learning about myself along the way too. So
0: Yeah. And I've been loving learning about people having celiac disease and being gluten-free because like I mentioned just before we started recording, you know, I hardly ever talk about being gluten-free because Hmm. it's nearly been, I'm 29, so it's nearly been half my life being gluten-free, which is just wild to think about. So it's just second nature to me now. And yeah, I've been loving learning about gluten-free places and I mean everything has just changed so much since I became gluten-free like back in 2009 there was only one bakery doing gluten-free bread you couldn't buy it in the supermarket there was a bakery in Christchurch and I lived about two and a half hours away from Christchurch they would courier bread to my parents place so that I could put it in the freezer and the loaf was about this
1: big, oh, like no. it
0: was tiny, Yeah, but yeah, being able to have toast was just so important to me.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Just to, just feel kind of like normal, I guess, Yeah, you know, it, whatever that means.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. now just how much progress the world has had with gluten-free, like I went to Italy and I was in Venice and I ate a gluten-free pizza. Like who would have ever thought that that would be possible? But yeah.
1: It's so different there, isn't it? I'm very jealous of seeing people on Instagram and, you know, traveling over there and having all the different gluten-free options. And they, I think there's such a high percentage of celiac disease there. Is that right?
0: Yeah, there must be. Yeah. Because everyone says that it's like the best place to go if you're yeah. gluten-free. I was only there for 24 hours, but oh, okay. it was amazing.
1: <laughs> and you recently came out here to Australia.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. I just had the best eight days in Melbourne I cannot even begin to express how good gluten-free is in Australia. I miss Coles, like just being able to go to a different supermarket and just all the gluten-free food. I get so jealous and like gluten-free Anzac biscuits. I was like eating all of those. And then every restaurant I went to had gluten-free options or some of them were fully gluten-free like it was just wild and we don't have that here we're very okay we're still feel quite limited with our gluten-free options although Morgan from How to Celiac her mum just came from New Zealand over to London and brought like I don't know if you saw a whole suitcase
1: yes. full of
0: New Zealand gluten-free treats and that was a great reminder where I'm like okay maybe I need to pretend like I'm a tourist in my own city yes. and actually like appreciate what we do have here because the grass is always greener on the other side. But oh, Melbourne was so good. So much good food. I tried ramen for the first time. Ah, so that's another wow. thing because I was gluten-free so young, I haven't eaten so many foods because mm. Where I grew up, 900 people population. We didn't have takeaways. We didn't have fast food places. I've never eaten a burger from McDonald's in my whole entire life, ever, Wow. ever. And so because of that, I'm not really good at eating burgers. And I was like a couple of years ago, I've got to teach myself how to eat a burger because the bottom bun always gets eaten first for some reason with me. I like lose the bottom bun. It's a real process. And if you just didn't grow up eating burgers, you just don't know about it. It's fine art. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then I went to Grilled in Australia. God bless Grilled. (laughs) That I love Grilled so much. And yeah, it was like, okay, I'm going to get better at eating burgers. (laughs) Absolutely. Because Yeah, it's just all those little things. And so, yeah, I'd never tried ramen because as far as I know, there isn't a gluten-free ramen place here. So was able to get gluten-free ramen, all of these amazing foods. Oh, it was incredible. I can't wait to That's go back awesome. again and just eat my way around Melbourne.
1: <laughs> it's great. I heard, I recently, yeah, interviewed someone on the podcast and they were saying that it's the allergy capital of the world. I'm not sure if Melbourne. Is. Yes. Random. Yeah, very random. <laughs> Interesting.
0: <laughs> I will have to fact
1: check that. But um yeah, it's, it's, it's just a, an amazing place. I mean, you look at the Find Me Gluten Free app and there's just so many, so yeah. many places on there to eat. Yeah. And, and just watching people, you know, living there on Instagram, um, it's just, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. So many options. I can't wait to go back yes. post-diagnosis. Yes, yeah.
0: definitely. I've got a list now. I can send you yes. some <laughs> other places.
1: <laughs> awesome. Yes, please. Please do. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jess, look – we're getting towards the end of our chat together, but before I let you go, can you let listeners know how they can find that So Chronic, uh, listen to it and connect with you online?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can find that So Chronic wherever you listen to your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this one right now. You just type in that So Chronic and you'll be able to find it. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at That's So Chronic and on TikTok at the same handle. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, but I don't really use use it because it's a lot to just keep on top of them all. Um, or you can always, yeah, you can always reach out to me over on Instagram. I love hearing from everybody. Just please don't tell me not to eat pavlova at Christmas because <laughs> it's like the one thing that keeps me going. So
1: <laughs> you'll get unfollowed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jess, look, it's been awesome to speak to you today. I'm sure everybody listening will understand why I got you on. And, you know, you just, you're so honest and sincere and <laughs> you've got a great attitude with everything that you do. And your show is fantastic. Everybody should go check out That's So Chronic. Um, and yeah, thank you for everything you do.
0: Amazing. I do have one last piece of gluten-free yeah. uh, content that I would love to share with your listeners. Please, please. <laughs> I would just like to let people know that being gluten-free is actually amazing because you can always get out of having to eat something that you don't want to eat because you can just pull the gluten card. If you're at someone's house for dinner and you're like, I don't know what this is. I don't want to eat this. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's the gluten. I I better not.
1: <laughs> that is so true. That is one of the that is one of the best things about it, isn't it? I've yeah. kind of, yeah, won't say who, but I've been in those sort of situations <laughs> before. And it's like, it is a good just, yeah, ticket out of having yeah. to eat any of those awkward foods.
0: So even though it feels like your whole life is going to have to change, there will definitely be some silver linings to it all. <laughs>
1: Do you have um, any advice for, you know, someone going through a, um, a diagnosis of MS as well?
0: Oh, a diagnosis of MS, a diagnosis of anything really. I would just recommend that you listen to your own body and you find the people around you that are gonna be your team, your support network. And if your medical professionals don't understand you or, or they don't feel like a right fit, you are totally within your right to get a second opinion or to shop around if it's, you know, financially accessible, or however your health system works, like, you are the boss of your chronic illness, so Mm. you are in charge, you know, like, everyone, it it sounds so ridiculous, but, like, everyone's kind of working for you, like, especially Mm. if you're paying for your specialists, you know, there was one person on that, so Chronic, recently, And they said, you know, I was paying like $400 to go and see this specialist and they couldn't even remember her name. Mm. And it's like, you know, that was probably be my biggest advice. Like you're the boss, like you're in charge. It's actually your life. So if something doesn't feel right, you're more than like more than welcome to get a second opinion, shop around, try and find the best team for you because quality of life is really important. So yeah, that's what I would probably say is the best piece of advice.
1: You're the boss of your chronic illness. I love that. That's awesome. That's a quote right there. Yep. (laughs) Jess, thanks so much for doing this today.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. Again, thank you to Ben from a Gluten Free Podcast for helping make this episode possible. And if you haven't already, you can listen to Ben's celiac journey on his episode right here on That's So Chronic. Before you go, make sure you've pressed follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you're listening, and I always appreciate a rating or a review. I'm actually on a mission to get 100 ratings on Spotify, and I am so nearly there. So if you fancied doing that, I would actually love you forever. I hope you have a lovely week, and I'll be back next week for another interview episode. An episode that isn't me, I promise. (laughs)